Let's talk about microdosing. You know that feeling when your body and mind are really at peace, like after a workout or a nice long shower, where you've relaxed, you're focused, and a little energized? It feels just right, like you're in the zone. Well, microdose can help you not only get into that zone easier, but stay there longer. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. I absolutely love how helpful these gummies are. For me, half a microdose gummy during the day helps me really stay centered and really fresh as I get everything done on my list. And they really help me relax in the evenings as well and just be present and in the moment instead of worrying about things from the day or what I have to do tomorrow. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code MinaAF for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm Mina Starziak-Hawk, and this is Mina AF, where I answer all of your questions and you can ask me anything. Can we talk about money? Can you still breastfeed with implants? You're both boss moms, and I'd love to know the story of how you met. Literally anything any of you want to hear. Listen as we build a community and get to know each other better. I wanted to ask so badly, I and I was going to say, like, I don't know your comfort level. I want to ask. I knew it had been two weeks. Oh, my God. Yes. I thought that was the case because I figured I'd be able to tell by your face <laughs> if if it was, like, a good or a bad thing. Yeah. That's yeah. so funny freaking excited I don't think I'd be standing upright I don't think we'd uh, yeah we'd probably rescheduled right (laughs) you know um you know the it's just uh we've wanted it so badly for uh man I just it's been such a journey so we yeah we're so grateful and uh I know I've been meaning to tell you but I was like I'll just tell you on here well I I was I was kind of hoping, but I was like, I really want to already know when I was going to message you. But if the answer is no, that's just a really hard conversation. So, I mean, I think honestly, a good way to start. Thank you all for uh, tuning in today on this lovely Tuesday. We all made it through Monday. Uh, I am talking with Emma and Ryan Kelly. And the conversation we're going to have today is uh, probably going to be a tough one for them, but for a lot of people listening as well, because they did have a very late-term miscarriage um, at 19 weeks and have been trying again and just told me that they're pregnant. So it's very, very exciting. Oh, gosh. Do you want to start from the beginning or do you want to talk about like what feelings you're having now? Because I'm sure it's very exciting, but also very terrifying. Yeah. Why don't we, we'll kind of take you through like our, our background. Um, yeah. Yes. Perfect. And just he and I, and then that kind of comes full circle to where we are now. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> Ryan and I got married in May of 2021, um, had a beautiful wedding, mm-hmm. uh, actually got by through the skin of our teeth with COVID. Yeah. That was kind of chaos. Uh, but we had our wedding um, and then 
we were always open to family. I mean, I swear Ryan used to joke about having kids before he'd talk about marriage, but (laughs) we were, so we were open to it, but you know, like you're so naive and you're like, well, we'll do the whole, we'll have a year married thing. We'll, we'll chill. We'll go on all these trips. Um, when we can, you know, there's always so much, there's great plans. And then, you know, then life happens. You're in control of everything. Yes. It's, I call everything like the, like before loss, right? Like your mindset, all of this, who, who we are before is, um, we miss those happy, naive people who thought that they could control everything. But so, um, we actually quickly got pregnant. We got pregnant three months after our wedding. And I joke, it was kind of like impossible because at that time, so Ryan, plays football. He is the center for the Colts. So at that He's time. He's a goddamn animal. My husband's yeah. obsessed. <laughs> you and Luke, I swear he'd make out with you both. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Actually, I'd like, I'd pay money to see that. Yeah. Um, but so we uh, got pregnant pretty quickly. Um, and so we were really surprised, but it, like so excited. And that just kind of changed everything. And it was just like a fairy tale. You're riding the highest of highs, big, beautiful wedding. And then you get pregnant and, you know, just almost right away, at least for us, it's like all those expectations, you know, you start thinking about who this baby's going to be, what your life's going to be like. I just kept visualizing, you know, I couldn't bring our baby to like watch their dad play football. You know, I just kept having those like dreams about, you know, bring in our baby to the game with the little Kelly jersey on and yeah. um, just all those amazing, fun dreams, you know, all the firsts. Did you start buying things? Because I bought things the second I found out I was pregnant. You know, I was pretty good. I bought uh, like two things. I bought uh, little baby Jordans, of course. Oh, and yeah. uh, then I bought, um, so that's so we joke too, like we're 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 gonna be the couple who never found out what the sex was. We were gonna wait. And then the second we found out we were pregnant, we were like, no, forget yeah. that. Like we're mm-hmm. we got it out immediately. And so Ryan has grown up with he it's just him and his brother. It's like an all-boy house. I feel so sorry for his mom. Um <laughs> I grew up with one brother and three girls. It was always chaos. And so Ryan just always said he wanted to be a girl dad. Like yeah. from day one, since we first like met, he always said he wanted to be a girl dad. So all you really want is a healthy baby, but secretly we were both really hoping for a girl. We found out. You guys did the gender reveal in a very big, amazing way. And I rewatched it again um, last Um, week. And I wanted to ask you, did you guys, did you guys really not know? Did they have, did you have like the doctor contact someone with the Colts? And yeah, we had no idea. So uh, we had the operations guy, I think it was. Oh no, we had DT. So DT is just like, the man behind the cur- the curtain of the Colts, yeah. like he does it all. So we had DT call our doctor or our doctor call DT and tell him what the result was. And then he gave it to the operations guy. So that was genuine. We had absolutely So like no DT idea. and the operations guy were holding some pretty big <laughs> secrets and surprises for at least some amount of time. That has to be so stressful. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were just dying yeah. to know. Uh and so at that time, too, the Colts had been doing uh, – HBO was following the Colts for the first in-season behind-the-scenes um, yeah. of Hard Knocks. So at that time, 
it was us and actually at the time our neighbors who's off so was an offensive lineman mark glowinski and his wife we were like two weeks apart it was their second our first but um we decided to do the gender reveal together and hbo found out about it and asked if they could film it so you didn't do it in any small way it wasn't a private (laughs) gathering of your five closest friends and families yeah. Uh, it was, uh, well, so it was our friends and family, a couple of the cult staff, and then uh, a lot of film and crew yeah. people. Who yeah. Those guys were awesome. They made yeah. us feel so comfortable. They were wonderful. But so, no, and that's, again, um, I, like, laugh to keep from crying about it now, but it's just, like, what could go wrong, you know? And it's mm-hmm. just, like, we, neither Ryan and I, regret letting the world into our pregnancy but we couldn't have been prepared for like what was going to happen and so um that's kind of it we let the world in to this big beautiful life chapter of ours you know and then a month or so later uh it all just kind of came crashing down so ryan had just been out he was ill so he had just missed like a week and a half of practice He'd missed a game and we weren't staying together at the time. We were quarantined. So we just spent this time apart and it was like our first day back freedom. So, you know, this is in December. It's December 15th. We had just quarantined separately for about 10 days. Ryan gets up, he goes to work and it's like my first day of freedom. You know, I never got sick, but I quarantined. Um, And so you know, it's December 15th. I'm out of the house. I'm running all my errands and I go to the bathroom around lunchtime and I notice some spotting, which most women know like that's not uncommon in pregnancy. Like that can just be implantation. And it was like the size of, you know, a quarter, not to be too too specific, but just for everyone to know, like that's not uncommon. That's not typically something to be overly alarmed about. Yeah, exactly. And so I just like, I didn't, I'll tell you though, like I, it didn't feel right. Like I just had this feeling in the back of my mind because I was thinking like typically for us, again, going to go into a little bit of detail, but for me, I would only have that spotting or implantation bleeding if we were intimate or if I had had like a vaginal exam, like Mm -hmm. the, and so that's really only when bleeding occurred and neither of those had been the case. So I was like this, you know, like this doesn't seem right. Can I ask you a question about like your time up to there? Yeah. Uh, I think it's, you know, probably more for, for new moms, which you were. Uh, I have a lot of friends that over the past, you know, decade when they got pregnant were just, I have to do everything right. And, you know, scared to eat the wrong thing, scared to work out the wrong way, scared to have sex because you are like, what if, what if I do something wrong? Uh, what had been your guys kind of approach to that um, since you found out you were pregnant? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I want to circle back to that, like with pregnancy after loss, because mm-hmm. that's a total yeah. mind, uh, like F. who I am, who I was before <laughs> yeah. and who I am now are totally different. But I didn't change a thing. Like, you yeah. know, you and I are very similar with our workouts. Like I love to strength train to get after it. And I was doing that all throughout my pregnancy. And I felt amazing. To be honest, it's the only thing that saved me from I had nausea pretty bad in my first trimester. And Mm -hmm. if I would not get up and force myself to work out, I was just like, I'd I'd be on the couch all day, just like sick. So I didn't change anything. Um, You know, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of those fears 
um, then, and I don't think you should, I want to like really, really encourage, like you shouldn't because you're supposed to do those things. Now, if you've never worked out a day in your life, you probably shouldn't pick that up. Yes. Especially. I think the mantra was, you know, don't, don't do anything that you didn't do before you were pregnant. So if you aggressively strength trained or, you know, cycled or did karate, whatever it is, you know, you can do all those things. And I guess the reason I asked is because we are both kind of, you know, control freaks and I didn't do any of those things. And I, I ate sushi and I ate lunch meat and all that stuff. But I can see it really messing with a lot of women's heads because I've seen it happen to my friends. Like, did, did I cause this? Did I do something I shouldn't have done? And that's just not how it works. And that's like, unfortunately, the sad nature of most of us women is we take full responsibility and blame. So like, I can't even tell you what I did to myself after I lost her, like what I, the thoughts that I had, what, you know, and unfortunately too, um, because everything was so public, people yeah. felt that they could leave their comments and speculate yeah. as to why too, yeah. which, you know, was just really cruel and unkind and doesn't fix anything in that situation. But to answer your question, no, like th- in my first pregnancy with Mary Kate, I, I didn't have a care in the world. Um, I worked out, um, I did all the things that I usually did and none of those led to why we lost her anyway. Ryan, did you have any, was it even a conversation between you guys about we're going to be super open and public with this or did it just kind of happen? Um, no, I think like at the time, I can't remember if we brought up to Mark Lewinsky and his wife or if it was vice versa, but we were all, there was like seven of us current players that were all having kids. Um, something was in the water. Some, yeah, joke. I was like talking about it. was like something <laughs> at the, at 7001 is something messing these guys up. But uh, had a real fun off yeah. season. Exactly. So yeah. uh, I think we were talking together and we're like, it'd be such a cool moment to do it like a gender reveal together, I guess. Emmett always said this was like Indianapolis. Like we don't know if we'll be here forever, but while we're here, like this is such a big point of our life. This is where we like, you know, got married um, all these big events happen in our lives. So like, you know, let's, let's bring a part of like our gender reveal. And so we just thought it would be awesome to like do a league of soil during COVID. No one would be there just kind of intimate. And yeah. like, you know, our daughter would be able to see that one day and be like, you know, that was in the big screen there. So we did it. We didn't have any reservations behind it. I mean, it was like HBO was already shooting our story anyways. So it'd be kind of cool. And then next thing you know, we both had girls. It was like awesome. And all my buddies in college were also having girls. So it just kind of worked out really well. And, I think HBO did such a good job of capturing the moment. And then obviously. Oh, they did. After, afterwards, they were great about they anything that they said after we lost her, um, the Patriots game, all that other stuff was like, we got to approve it all. So couldn't just couldn't yeah. thank HBO and Matt Conti and those guys enough for, you know, being very delicate with our story um, after everything happened the way it did. Yeah. So I guess, you know, back to your story. So you noticed some spotting and did you pretty immediately reach out to your OB or? Yeah, which again, oh, well, so, and I should back up too. So, cause I told you like spotting itself wasn't anything, but we had two weeks prior around um, Thanksgiving, I was at my 17 week, you know, and we're in there and the doctor's bragging about her heartbeat and just how great everything looks. And so Fast forward to December 15th, which is the Friday before our 20-week anatomy scan, the big, exciting 20-week scan. So, um, you know, our last appointment, everything looked so great. Our heartbeat was so strong. But I remember telling Ryan the night before 
I was like, I don't feel her movements. So you start to get those flutters around the time. They're not really like kicks or mm-hmm. movements, but you feel your baby's flutters. And I remember expressing concern to him. I was like, babe, like, I don't feel her, you know? And like some of my symptoms that were like my breasts felt like daggers my entire pregnancy. They were, they hurt so bad from sunup to sundown. And it's, um, I had noticed like the last two days they didn't hurt at all. Um, and so again, it is common in the second trimester for some of your, some of your symptoms to subside completely. But Mm -hmm. I will say like everything kind of happened literally like overnight. So I, I like my breasts weren't tender. So some of my symptoms that were there from day one, even well into my second trimester, um, I noticed I didn't feel. And so Mm-hmm. My like alarms went off, but it still wasn't anything. Cause when you Google it, it's like, oh, that's normal. You'll lose your symptoms. Yeah. No, no big deal. So, um, the night before two days prior, I had that in the back of my mind. So then when the spotting happened, I was like, nope, that's too, you know, we've got, I, I don't feel my symptoms. I don't feel her movements. And now I've got the spotting. So I did panic. Yeah. I immediately called the hospital and the woman was like, you know, how far along with you? And she was like, you need to come into triage, which is the ER for labor and delivery. So I was like, this isn't good, you know. But Ryan, again, had just gone back to work for the first time and like, um, you know, how, however long. And so I was like, I'm not calling him. I'm not going to getting him out of practice. So you went by yourself. Yes, I did. Oh, so um, because I didn't want to pull him out of football in case. I would, I would do the same thing. Uh, yeah. And I thought at the very least, it was just like, I don't know, you're trying to tell yourself it's everything, but, um, but you know, like, I I don't even know how to tell you. I knew like deep down, I'll never forget driving to the hospital, just sobbing. Um, And so I called again, DT, our our Colts man, um, and very close. He's, I mean, he's such a great family friend too, but so I'll never forget. I called him and I'm trying, you know, to, to, to keep it together. And I'm like, DT, I got to go to the hospital. Um, you know, like something's definitely up with the baby. Um, and I was like, but please like, don't, don't let Ryan know yet. Like, I'm only letting you know so that if I need you, you can get him, but like, don't please God, whatever you do, like, don't go in there, pull him out of practice and get him all worried for nothing. Like, wait for me to call you. Um, you know, I think DT, didn't he run and get you anyway? Yeah, he came and got me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he ran out, um, yeah. you know, and I remember just telling Ryan, like, it's okay. Or no, you told me. You were like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Everything's fine. Um, and so um, I walked in there, walked up to labor and delivery, and this cute little nurse comes in. She's complimenting my outfit and how cute I look pregnant. Uh, and then she just goes silent. She was doing, like, the Doppler. The Doppler. Oh, yeah. Um, like we weren't quite doing the ultrasound yet. She's trying to find the heartbeat on that little machine. And so, um, she's talking to me, she's complimenting me and then she just goes quiet. I'm like, um, fuck, like, yeah. you know, yeah. um, yeah. And so, um, she, um, so she's like, Hey, like I'm new here. I don't think I'm doing this right. Let me go grab someone. Um, and she goes and grabs the on-call doctor and what's terrible about that is 50, 50. They're just not good yeah, at it. Right. Like you, and that's a terrible, like waiting that five minutes for someone else to come I in. Always, it's the hope that kills you too. Right. Like that little bit of yeah. hope, um, you know, and there, cause to your point, it really could have been maybe right. Like maybe yeah. the baby's hiding behind. Um, 
And so, you know, she tells you that, but again, you just like, you know, um, and so, uh, like mother's intuition, I swear it kicks in like the second you find out you're pregnant. Um, and so, uh, she comes back in with the doctor and the doctor, um, you know, very kind of business-like she just gets right to it, gives me an ultrasound. And then she just looks at me, <laughs> I'm laughing, but she just looks at me and goes, I'm sorry, sweetie. Um, there's, there's not a heartbeat. Do you have it? Do you have any family? Do you have anyone you can call? Um, and so I, I don't even know how to get into that. You know, like you can, like you can't imagine probably, but, uh, you know, like literally three days before you're like getting your nursery ready, you know, where cribs come in and then, um, you're off, like you're having this great day. And then like someone tells you your baby's not there. And so, um, I don't know how you like process that. And then on top of it all, so she says, you know, there's no, no heartbeat. And I'm like, check again. I know it. I know there's no heartbeat, but I'm like, can you please just check one more time for me? Um, and so, um, then she, you know, she says, okay, you know, God bless this woman, but she goes, you can hop down and walk next door and deliver your baby because you're so far along. What? Or you can go home and take a minute to gather or take the night to gather yourself and come back. (laughs) Excuse me. What did you just say to me? Like, uh, what? uh, Yeah. Like, are you on drugs lady? There are no words. I'm like, I'm I'm not delivering my baby. You're, you're insane. Like, um, cause you know, like, Honestly, if we can just back up for a minute, like that's one of the things that like I was like People nervous for my whole thing was like I, I was kind of afraid to deliver a baby, yeah. um, you know, and so I was. I requested a C-section <laughs> for the first one. Apparently that's frowned upon. <laughs> uh, that depends on who you're talking to. Got it anyways. Yeah. But yeah. Um, do you know, speaking of that in Europe, you can like schedule your c-section what? walk right in get it and come that's, out that that's what i did with the second one because i'd already had it and it was magical I, yeah i know um magical. so like th- yeah i if any if that's everyone's thing like absolutely but so yeah. at least they have the option right but anyway so yeah. um i you can imagine so uh i just laid there in that cold sterile <laughs> little room by myself like what do you do and just waited for ryan to get there um as I tried to like process what she just said to me. Um, I like could not wrap my mind around any of it. And then, I don't know, do you want to talk about like your, like what that was like from your. Yeah. I'm sure you felt incredibly helpless. Oh yeah. I mean, I, so I went, when she went to the hospital, she called David and then David was like, Hey, you gotta go. And I was like, all right. So I left, I went home and was hanging out with the dogs. Cause I was like, just I'll let you know what they say, and I was probably home for maybe an hour. That's when she called me. And you know when you pick up the phone and you can just, you can just hear the other side of the line, yeah. you just know it's not great. So I was yeah. driving as fast as I could to get there. And of course, it's like the northeast corner of Indianapolis where 69 meets 465. It's just a nightmare. It's traffic. Mm-hmm. I can't get there fast enough. And then, you know, when you walk in, it's just... It's, it's a feeling like anything in the world, like unless you've ever been, unless you've ever had to sit through that, like, or just walk into that room, there's nothing that'll prepare you for that in your life. Uh, because of, as the husband of the house and 
man of the family. There's nothing you can do. You try to do anything you can, yeah. but uh, like I said, the the nurse or the the doctor that came in the triage, and I mean, I guess you know nothing personal to her. It's just it was, she was just very cold. It was just kind of a yes or no thing, right? And um, it was very transactional for yeah. her, and it was the end of the world for us. Yeah. <laughs> Warmer, sunnier days are calling, and you can fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. With delicious options from breakfast to dessert, you can stay fueled all day long with easy and nutritious options. Plus, with premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, Factor meals are a real treat. I love the convenience and the variation of Factor's different meal preferences. Whether it's managing calories, maximizing protein, or avoiding meat, Crush your goals this May with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash MinaAF50 and use code MinaAF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code MinaAF50 at factormeals.com slash MinaAF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have different stressors, some big, some small, that we carry around and that really weigh us down. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to have a negative effect on us. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. For me, therapy has been so helpful, really learning those positive coping skills and to be the best version of myself. I know myself better and how to set the right boundaries that really work for me. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, then give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, and it's entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MinaAF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MinaAF. And I think yeah. the other nurses, the other nurses there, the young ones, they didn't, they had no idea. There, I could see them crying in like the hallway outside, and I was like, I, whatever. I mean, like public service, you know, them, police officers, fire, which they're probably not supposed to yes, do. It, I mean, that's got to be such a tough position, yeah. and unfortunately, they probably do see that all too often. Yeah. So it's, you know, they've kind of probably detached from sure. the personal nature of and it. So. We, are, I mean, I remember sitting there, we were probably in that room for maybe 15 minutes. And I think Emma had called her mom or sisters. I remember calling my mom, like telling her there wasn't a heartbeat anymore. That was really difficult. Uh, just people that you love that are, happy, you know, the most happy for you. And then we're like, whatever, we, we can't even be here right now. So we're going home, uh, which is just the longest quietest ride right you're like how did i just go from this to this like my world's just changed all overnight 
and God love her. Like she's part of our family forever, but we talked to our OBGYN on the way home and, you know, she had found out what happened uh, through the nurses there. And she's like an angel sent from heaven to help people good or bad. Um, and she was like, all right, you know, she kind of laid it out. Like, here's, here's a process. If you're too far along, you have to deliver her. Um, and that's a whole other story. I mean, and uh, we'll get into it because I can't, Em and I both can't speak enough for the, the women and men at, at, uh, community North and just community hospital in general, because I mean, we thought about switching hospitals a couple of times just, just based off the fact that we'd passed like five hospitals on the way there from our home in Zionsville. And we didn't mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And thank God we didn't because from the experience that we had there, uh, I don't think that, you know, our, our, our leaving lasting impression of having delivered daughter who was never going to come home with us. I don't think that would have been the same if we had changed. It was just truly, yeah. uh, and maybe that's the next thing we talk about, but, uh, you just, your world is upside down and you don't even know how to get out of it. So when you guys went home, what I feel like you, there would just be a lot of silence, like don't even know what to say, but you obviously had to have the conversation about, okay, the next step is we, we have to deliver Mary-Kate. Yeah. So to be honest, there's a lot of that time. I mean, cause this is real trauma and I think Ryan and I were in shock. So like, there is a lot of that that yeah, like, I don't remember. I just like the, like the pain, you know, the feeling, oh, but don't yeah, really like, I can't it. like this, um, you know, and, and just feeling literally like I can't go on any longer. Like, I don't want to, I don't, you know, like I can't like forget one step in front of the other. Like, how do I like take another breath, you know? And just like, um, but so, you know, that's, that's the harsh reality. And I, and I say this, um, I, what I want to like the advice I want to give, um, that we did. So, our, our OBGYN was wonderful and kind of laid out like very delicately, like here's what is going to happen in the next 24 to 48 hours. Because I imagine it's, it is under the clock because it's probably dangerous for you to not take action. Oh yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Um, I we, think we, like. We had to be there next day. What we, we had yeah. We had to be there the next day to deliver. So, um, but you know, like I said, literally one night you're, planning the nursery. And then the next night you're deciding, do you bury her? Do you cremate her? Mm -hmm. um, where do you bury her? What do we bury her in? Uh, like, you know, she's, you know, she's going to be tiny. Um, and all of the newborn stuff that we had just wasn't, um, so there's nothing yeah. in the world. And so what I want to say to that, by the way, is find a point person, whether it's a family member or a best friend, who can take on this decision-making. Like, obviously no one should or could make the decision whether it's a barrier to cremate. That's got to be for you and your husband. And, and to be honest, like, that's hard anyway. You're, you're making a decision under the most traumatic, like, stressful 48 hours of your life. So, like, be easy on yourself, you know? Um, I know I talk to a lot of women who say they wish they could have done things differently, but it's like, how could you have, you know? But... Yeah. Um, I always to say, like, we designated Ryan's mom, and then we had a friend outside 
who had been through this and they helped guide us everything. So they looked up cemeteries for us. It was important for Ryan and I to bury her. So you made decisions and you really had other people yes. researching and executing so you could yeah, because keep functioning. You shouldn't be as the the parents who lose, you know, you, you shouldn't be Googling cemeteries in Indianapolis. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it makes the whole process colder and crueler. And so um, whatever you can hand off, um, do that. Um, and so, um, that, you know, we got into the hospital and they're, they're talking about those options and, you know, just when we thought we had heard it all, you know, they, they're like, do you want to cremate her or leave her here in the hospital? Do you want to bury her? If so, you got to have the funeral place come pick her up, you know, after she's delivered. And do you want to hold her? Yeah. And so, um, that is something, by the way, um, we originally were like, no way. Um, I, I can't yeah. bear to see her. When I say like this, like I find a little shame in this, but it, there's no shame in it. But it's like, I just, I remember us, Ryan and I clinging to each other being like, we can't see her like this. You know, what if she's she's only halfway? Um, you know, what if I'm not prepared to like not see her as the baby that we've been dreaming and picturing her of, which by the way, your baby is a baby at 20 weeks. They've got, looks like a yeah, baby. Oh, they're just tiny, beautiful and tiny. They've got their little fingernails and toes. And, um, so what we decided at first we said no. And luckily our OBGYN, um, when she got there, she was like, I think you're going to regret that. Um, and she said, this is your daughter. Um, you know, she's real. She's beautiful. You're, you're going to want to spend this time. Almost every parent that I've had who's declined this decision later comes back and say they regret not holding their child. And again, this is literally to each their own. Um, whatever makes this situation survivable is what's best for you guys. Um, but so we decided then to change our mind, but for us, we did say, we needed her like cleaned up and um, like in a little outfit. So like for us to be able to hold her. And so, um, so then we did it. So then I labored for 36 hours. Um, The labor part of it was pretty grueling for me. Like we had a lot of complications. My body fought the delivery, which is really sad in itself too. My body didn't want her to go. Um, But, um, yeah, so we delivered her and, um, you know, it was beautiful. Um, that was the only thing that got us through it. It was so painful, um, really traumatic. And, um, I know like you just don't think about these things when they happen prematurely. So it was a regular birth. They came in, they bought the cute little like cart, they put her in it. They washed her off. They took her photographs. They put her cute little outfit on. And just shout out to the companies all over the world um, who are making these little outfits for premature babies. Um, you have no idea what that means to all of the families going through this who aren't prepared and walk into that hospital empty-handed. And, you know, we just want the same thing that everyone gets with their living babies. You know, we want time with our baby. We want to see them. We want to dress them up. Um and so thank you. Like, it's just such a beautiful organization. So this um, Community North partners with an organization called Holy Sews who um, knit the cutest little outfits. 
for our little babies. It was the cutest thing, Mina. She had like a little beanie, like a bright pink little beanie on and mm. a matching outfit. And that's and what we ended up burying her in. Um, but then the nurses just make it really beautiful. You know, her announcement was made on the board, um, you know, her weight, her height, her time of delivery. Um, the nurses made us matching bracelets, Mary Kate and I matching bracelets. And I don't think we mentioned that by the way, but that's what we named her. Um, it was Mary Catherine. We called her Mary Kate. Um, yeah. You want to. Yeah. Like, uh, something that always sticks with me is I had to go, I think it would be DoorDash food or something. We were there for so long. And so I left the room and went to like out the door, went down the hallway and out the, out the wing unit, whatever. And, uh, as I was coming back in, I could see, like, we didn't know at the time, but they put, every hospital is different, but they do a pink butterfly on the door. And that means, like, to let nurses know that that's the room with, like, a loss. So, like, they don't come and busting in, like, hey, it's time for your baby's changing, you know, or it's something uh, that could just be very triggering. Yeah. And it's probably happened before. And that's why it's there. But um, there was, like, there was one next to us and one down the hall, like, that all had it. And I just remember being, like, what a like incredible, incredibly small gesture that probably was so, you know, unthought provoking for them. Just like, this is just what we have to do. But for a family that like has gone through that, like just the attention to detail was just incredible. I mean, we had the three best nurses who we've seen randomly or stayed in contact with since, uh, our OGBYN was on a 24 hour shift and she stayed like an extra 12 hours after that to deliver, uh, just the the level of like in the worst time at the worst place where you don't want to be like the they they made our daughter like they treat her like any other any other child or baby that was born that day it was just incredible we have uh, a lot of love there was they, so much love for us and our daughter awesome i mean the the nurses they take uh we like they ask if you want photos taken and you're like i don't i don't really know you know this is all thoughts you have to think about before she even comes into the world um uh, but she was like, the nurses actually make this little booklet. They make it by hand. They like, they punch three holes in it, and make it kind of like a little binder. Um, and they take like actual like ink foot, like foot and hand prints, um, mm -hmm. which is just like, you see those little feet, you're just like, it just melts you. You know what I mean? And so, um, I just they can't. Have yeah, I just can't stand up about like how amazing they were and. What you mentioned yeah. with the butterfly um, really kind of clicked because I imagine seeing it on other doors, not just yours, helped you feel less alone, which oh, yeah. for me has, I mean, honestly, really the whole point of being existing on social media, particularly with a platform, which you guys definitely have, it's something so many people don't talk about and it's while it's not, you know, a regular occurrence, it's by no means and you know rare. And I think it's so important. And so, I mean, it's a it's it's a scary thing to put yourself out there to talk about these kind of things when there are such awful people that say awful things. But sharing this and letting people know that they're not alone, like seeing those other butterflies on the door, it there's just something about knowing you're not alone in whatever your sadness is that can just be, I think, transformative really for a lot of people. Yeah. That, or, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's like that 
I, I didn't put two and two together at the time that other people were going through it because you can only just live in your own world. But until yeah. our story was shared, I mean, we were driving home, like, how this happened. Like, there's no way that anybody else in the world, like, has this happened to. You just feel completely by yourself. And I'm sure even people after that know our story, they'll probably, you know, until it, it, unless it happens to you, like, there's no other way to feel that. Like, to feel just like a complete lonesome. And the worst part of that until the story was, like, I was walking past those butterflies and then you'd reach a you know stretch of four four or five doors where there's no butterflies you can hear babies crying there and like when you're just in the moment i mean that's just yeah that just crush you and we left that hospital that that next day that next night we didn't want to leave first of all we were like this is like a somehow this is like this family atmosphere where like the nurses are becoming our part of our family this is where our daughter was born like we didn't want to go home to an empty house where there's just hundreds of flowers right like that's just that's well yeah it sounds like you had such an amazing support system that was developed in a very short amount of time there oh it was incredible and leaving there you know you're you're walking out of the box instead of a you know stroller and that was the that was also a really really tough part and that's what's the cruelest part about loss is um doing all the work i did it all Mm -hmm. i labored my daughter and then i had to give her back permanently you know, and we didn't get to bring her home. Shit, two days later, you're sitting at a funeral home that people across from you, the funeral home director is like in tears because they've never had a child before. And you're like, listen, man, I, I can't cry for both of us. Okay, I can't be there for you too. Like yeah. I'm trying to hold my shit together myself. So, uh. so yeah, I mean, kind of transitioning into that because Steve mentioned something um, earlier this week uh, because he's obviously had a lot of loss in his life and, yeah. um, you know, it was recently his sister's birthday and what he was like, I don't understand why people always make my pain about them. And what I explained to him is I, I think everyone has the best intentions, but that's how they can relate. They can say, well, this similar thing happened to me too. And they share that and they're trying to really connect by sharing that, and you know, it, it it definitely misses the mark sometimes. But I imagine you guys got a lot of that. Oh yeah, this I want to share like two critical things that we are like lessons that we have learned. One, mm-hmm. people will say very dumb things trying to help. Exactly what you just said, Mina. Like it it comes from a good place, but people say very dumb things. Yeah, they'd be like, I lost my grandmother too, and he's like, this was my sister. It's she was twenty thing. something. <laughs> but like, okay, yeah. But yeah. It is. It's like this need to like. Relieve. Who am I to judge your pain? Yeah. Um, and, you know, like we got a bunch of the, well, at least you're young. You Ugh. can try again. She's in a better place. Everything happens for yeah. a reason. And like, no, babies don't die for, you know, like they shouldn't die. Like that's, and, but it is, it is what it is. And so that we've just learned, like, you do have to like let it slide off your back unless there are, and there is a time and place where you need to tell people, like, hey, that's not appropriate. Yeah. Um, or, Next time, just don't say anything at all um, kind of a thing. You pick and choose your battles. Um, but the other really important lesson, and I don't know if you and Steve went through this because mm-hmm. it is the details are different, but like the pain of loss is the same. And so Ryan and I had to learn um, yeah. early that like we grieve very differently and we need to honor each other's grief. So admittedly, in the very beginning, I only share this because, you know, like I 
I was crying all the time, you know, and just very outwardly expressing the pain where he is kind of the opposite. Um, And so, you know, I'll never forget like one day just like erupting and like screaming, like, you know, you don't care as much as I do. Like, why aren't you crying? You know, why, why isn't this, why aren't you acting like me? You know, and, and I'll never forget. He just looked at me and like the hurt in his eyes. And he was like, don't ever say that, you know, like, and of course that wasn't how I really felt or the truth, but, um, we just, you don't, you, we didn't know we'd never been through anything. First off, it was like our first year of marriage and we're, you know, you just lose your child and, um, nothing in life can prepare you for this. There's no playbook. On- well, and I'm sure for Ryan, I, by the way, Ryan, I'm you, uh, Steve, Steve's <laughs> Emma, but I feel like you're probably very used to compartmentalizing physical pain, emotional pain, mental stress, because every time you have to play a game of football, anything that's going on, you kind of got to put in a box and put away to be successful at that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think even back to, I think that, what you see as a child or what you experience when you're growing up is also like how you compartmentalize things. So my yeah. dad was uh, a cop for 30 years. So, I mean, outside of EMS and nurses, I mean, they're right there with having to compartmentalize the worst of the worst. And mm-hmm. it probably had a little bit of effect on me. And I think just men in general, we do this is like, it's easier just to bury it down because like the men of the household have to be like you want to help your family, you want to be supportive for your family. Everything that you know, if somebody's hurting, you want to be able to help them, right? Like you, you can't want to take the pain away. Apart. Yeah, you can't do it. And so, I was much easier. Like I just stuff it down as deep as possible, right? And it would come out. It would come out in like ma- massive bursts, but um, not every day. And the hardest part was understanding. And we didn't. It took us a while to figure this out. Was like. When you go through a loss like this, it's not just a mental fatigue that happens to you. There's a physical sense of your body that it's studied, proven and studied that there's only so much energy you can put forth. I remember coming back to work and I was exhausted. I mean, yeah. just... It was 20%. Yeah, so 20% our of your like, energy. You only have 20% to give to everything else when you go through yeah. a loss like this. Yeah. Like that means 20% for work, your relationships, yeah. like everything. Mm-hmm. 80% goes to surviving, 20% goes to everything else. It helps put it in perspective so much. Yeah. And the other, I guess, try, not, not getting too far on the road, but speaking of statistics before I forget, is like we learned that, what was it? 85. Eight, 85% of couples that uh, lose a child, their marriage ends in divorce. Because uh, It's got to be such a challenging thing to process. How do you come back from that? There, you complicate each other's grief. Like she said, like she would be very upset and I'm trying to help her because as a husband, like that's my, I don't want to see her sad. Like that to me, like kills me. Right. So mm-hmm. now I compartmentalize whatever feelings I have and push it down further deeper. And now that doesn't come out. She doesn't see me emotional. And if you don't know this or if you've never been taught it or gone through it at some point in your life is she thinks that I'm not being the emotional that I don't care because I'm not showing it physically, but in reality, I just can't, we both can't be at the same time, right? Yeah. Uh, but like we talked, I guess we talked about, we talked about this now very openly, but doing this, it was awful. We didn't even know about this until we ended up seeing somebody and kind of hearing, oh, this is why this makes sense. We needed somebody else in our life. I, I couldn't just rely on Emma all the time because she was trying to rely on me and she's also trying to pick up the pieces for our family. There's way too many things going on and we ultimately just complicated each other way too much. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's, that's the thing. And so 
is just getting in each other's way instead of letting each other heal. And I will say too, like with, so with his, and it's pretty typical with guys, like Ryan's grief was pretty delayed um, because I think his natural primal reaction was just like, I have to take care of you. Like I have to be there. So he needed to be there for me and didn't even allow himself like true time uh, to process losing his daughter too. Like, or just, um, so I would say like yours really came later, which was interesting because it's like, I'm in a totally different stage at that point. Right. Like I'm working through. So all of that, um, to say it's, totally normal and healthy and necessary for you guys to take it at your own pace and to honor each other with whatever outlet that is. And so one other like really, really helpful piece of advice that Ryan and I got, and this goes for all grief and loss is when you go through it, you need three people. Um, and it can't be your family members and it can't be each other. Each other is like your fourth, your, your significant other will be your fourth person, right? Cause you are meant to talk and share all of this, but to get through your grief, you need three people. One of those can even be a pet, you know, like our, our dog, which actually like we had just gotten a puppy and she saved us. Oh my gosh. You know, just her spirit and her temperament, like forced me to get out of bed every single day. So like that really was one for us. Um, and then two other people, whether it's, um, a best friend, a therapist, um, whatever, it just can't be your direct family members because we kind of talked about this early as family members typically are the ones who say the wrong thing, right? Because they love you so much and they can't bear to see you in pain. So they're going to say the wrong thing or they're going to say things to invalidate your grief and pain because they don't want you to feel it. Right. So it's like, you know, they'll tell you like, you're fine. You're going to get through this. And that's not what you need to hear. Yeah, no, I'm not fine. I will get through it. I don't know how I will right now. And And I also don't need you to tell me that. Like I need you to just sit here and say this sucks and cry with me. But Unfortunately, family members, just because they love us too much, it can't be those people. Um, Uh And then it can't be um, like it can't just be your best friend because one person is not meant to bear all of this. Like one person can't take on all of our grief and pain. So got to be at least two people and a pet and then your significant other. Um, But that's our survival toolkit to get through this because, you know, you're expecting too much from your partner or wanting them to feel and say the same things and they just typically can't. So I say that because it's one of the most incredible tools that we ever got. And once we had that, everything else kind of made sense. And you can kind of, you know, let those comments or those things slide because you know, you've, you've pushed them out, you know, you're not dependent on those people or those things and their words. um, Well, and I can see how it would be the inclination to hunker down, go into a bubble we're the only two people that can understand this. Like, what's the point of even trying to talk to other people? But then the idea of, you know, it it takes a village. Like, there's so many people. You guys are so blessed that there's so many people that have, you know, rallied around you and been able to support you. And I definitely want to talk about some of the organizations that you guys uh, got to work with. because I know there were some really amazing ones that made hu- a huge difference in how you were able to grieve. Um, but yeah, being able to kind of sp- spread it out. You know, you want to spread the joy, so spread spread the struggles out, and people want to be there for you. And honestly, um, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but when well, we've gotten closer, um, but we're not, you know, we're... We, we we still haven't even been able to get all out to dinner together. But early on, like, I think Steve and I both felt close to you guys, um, just for some innate reason. 
And when you experienced this loss, the first thing in my head was, okay, how how can I be there? What can I do to help? She probably has a million people that are way closer. Like, I don't need to be up in that shit. I'm just going to be annoying. <laughs> and I literally Googled it. I Googled, yeah. I was like, what is, what can you do that's helpful? And I also Googled what are like, what are the wrong things to do? What are the wrong things to say to people when they've had a loss? And it was just super simple. And I would randomly send you, you know, an emoji of a blue butterfly or so it's because there's no words. It's just, you're in my thoughts right now. That That's all I got. That's all we want to hear. Can I tell you, like, that was all I needed. Like that blue butterfly. I like still distinctly remember too, you sending us messages and just like the overwhelming, like, it's so amazing to just have this community and people who get it, you know, like that's, that's what I want. Um, and this is such a, so I'm actually starting a website for this because this is the number one thing. I can't even tell you the messages that I get weekly, um, daily. I know someone who went through this. How can I be there for them? What can I do for them? What resources saved you? And so, um, we are putting that together because, it's critical. And there, there's no, again, there's like no playbook for this right now. Mm -hmm. And I will just say by the way to that, like, all we want is like, that's it. Just send us an emoji, like say say something, say anything. Um, I think a lot of people get intimidated because they think they need to have this like long paragraph to show. And it's like, no, you don't just tell us this sucks. And you're thinking about us. Yeah. This sucks. I love you. Yes. That's it. That's all you say to people is, this sucks so badly. I'm so sorry. I love you. And like, that's it because, you know, not the, you don't have to take our pain away. I think that's what people feel like they want to do too, is like, they want to help say something to like make us feel better. Um, like I, this comes from the most loving place, but like you're, there's nothing you could say to make us feel better. Nothing could ever take an ounce of this pain away. So like, you don't have to try. No, 10 million um, people can tell you their story about how they lost their baby too. And yeah. it's not going to make it any less painful. I don't think guys. Jesus himself could come down and say to my face anything that would make me feel better. Like it's just, um, and that's, and you don't want to feel better, to be honest. Like when you lose someone you love and the person you wanted most in this world, like you don't want to feel better. You want to be sad. Like, I want to talk about that. So that. when you guys started, like the first time you laughed or felt like you were having fun or felt like you were enjoying life oh, yeah. without Mary-Kate, yep. that had to be a thing. It had to be like a, a conversation, a thought like guilt or, you know, talking through that. And I'm sure that was tough. Yeah, it was. I remember as as, as awful as it is to be sad and to have your world turned upside down. We like the thought of like not being sad day to day was like this feeling that we're getting further and further away from like when, she, when like we had like her funeral. Right. And that's like that the reality is that time keeps moving, but we didn't want to, we wanted to like preserve that image. Like I always thought like if I, if I can't picture her face anymore, like what's that going to be like you know, the first time we laughed, I was like, why am I laughing right now? I should be sad. Right. Yeah. And we, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
kind of the, the, the knowledge that we have now of how we grieve and the different process of how, how, how we don't grieve, right. is all based off of this, this people that we talked to and down in Austin, Texas. And, um, it was, it was remarkable. And she was like, no, grieving process is everything. It's, it's laughing, it's crying, it's being happy, being sad, being anxious, being all these things, all these emotions, you have to feel them all, um, to truly appreciate, you know, what's, what's it like. And, uh, I remember, I don't know where we were, but I remember having that conversation was like, I'm laughing right now. Like I, I shouldn't be laughing. Like my, my daughter just died. Mm-hmm. Like, I just buried my daughter a couple of days ago. And I remember we had people over, we got back from the hospital and I tell you, like we have a giant counter in the middle of our house and it was completely full of flowers. We had casseroles in every freezer, every refrigerator. It was ridiculous. Can we just back up and say like respectfully, and this is actually people I say, um, don't send flowers to people <laughs> yeah. who lose people, especially like for me, we, and so this is like a respectful thing. Like, or I mean, I want to say this with all the respect in the world, like what a beautiful thought and like a reminder that we are loved, but it overwhelmed us like for two reasons. One, we had like, what do you do with them? You know, yeah. and then they die and you have they to die. throw them away. And it's a reminder of just like death. And, you know, like it's, uh, flowers are tough. I would steer away yeah. from flowers. Um, I will say the thing that helped us more than anything in the world, it was the meal train. So like our people big time stepped up and took care of meals for the first couple of weeks because I wouldn't have eaten. I don't, you know, like there's no way I would have cared to take care of myself for a second. So just on those things too, like. Well, and something to add to that, just whether it's, you know, a a happy occurrence, a death, you know, whatever it is, everyone shows up right then. And then there's this trickle off. So like thinking about what you can do for people in their good and bad times a little bit longer term, um, yes. I think is always a good suggestion as well. Hence, you know, the meal train. So you're not getting, you're getting 5 million casseroles today, but you're yep. also going to get fed for a month because when everyone goes away, then there's just this empty quiet and you still got to eat and you still have to function. And Ryan still has to go to practice. And I don't, I think um, people kind of forget about the, the long yeah. game with grief. And I think that is, um, you just hit the nail on the head, is one of the things you can do for people that have the most lasting impact. So you lose you lose your person and all you're, you worry about or a lot of what you worry about is like, will people forget them? We, want, we don't want anyone to forget her. We want people to still say her name. Like we just want to know that she's counted for and remembered. And so, so many people made donations in her name or mm-hmm. um, would send us like someone donated to the butterfly muse- um, or the butterfly exhibit at the zoo. No, it's a, um, oh. it's like a national conservatory for butterflies oh. like, living. Oh, yeah. So someone like made a donation and so anyway, so people started doing someone named a star after her. Like yeah, people just started doing this sure. gifts where it just like, they don't go away. You don't eat them. They aren't flowers that die. Yeah. Yeah. Or like they put her name on a plaque somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. to us, that means, you know, for as long as that is around, someone will see our da- Someone somewhere is going to read our daughter's name. Yeah. And it, you know, like we won't know that, but like someone will say her name, read her name. Um, and that matters. And like that is what we want more of. It's just for her, her to be counted for. Yeah, her to um, still exist after yeah, she's not necessarily notary, in like, the world. Yes. And just to see her little name 
wherever we can. And so I think those are amazing, amazing gestures. But And I could go on, right? And we'll get into those resources. But just to circle back on that question, um, it was incredibly hard to, and it'll hit you, right? Like you'll smile or, or just all of a sudden, when you're least expecting it, you'll laugh mm-hmm. or you'll feel good about something. And then you have this insane guilt yeah. for that laugh or whatever. And all of that to say, like, as you grow, as you continue to move forward, right? You never move on ever, but as you continue to move forward, um, you just learn that they will always coexist. So we absolutely have found joy. Um, we've found happiness. We've, you know, we've, we've gone out, we've taken trips, we've done stuff. Um, (laughs) I mean, you're, you're talking about like the grief, the happiness, the laughing, how hard was it to have the conversation about having another baby like that like do we replace her and that's so not what it is but has to be kind of part of what it feels like like does that honor her I'm sure that was tough oh you know um it's so interesting because by like just part of like the shock and like I I remember being in the hospital then Mm -hmm. losing her like I hadn't even delivered her yet and I remember saying to Ryan, like, we're going to try again, yeah. right? Like, just this yeah. insane fear of never being a mom. Or just, like, like this crazy, crazy fear. Well, because um, you don't know what happened. There's not child. a reason that you can, like, identify and fix. Like, okay, this was wrong with my uh, ovary. So let's do this and we'll be yes. good. Things just happen. And when they can't be explained, that's the hardest. And that's the worst part about this too, is we had, um, we didn't know the reason we lost her for a long time. So, um, we, the unknown of like what could be, or like why it happened, just, it it was honestly, um, infinite. Like we had no idea how or why. So that was really scary for the future. Like we could go through, if, if we decided. Does this happen again? Oh Yeah. So we were like, yeah, we had no idea. So it's like, if we try this, we could be right back here. You know, so like all the fear and anxiety. But so Ryan and I have wanted a family always. Um, And there's like, it sucks so bad to want a child more than anything in the world, to be so ready, to want to be parents, to have your shot at it. And then it ripped away from you um suddenly so it was just like we were we were ready to be parents right and we should have a baby and we don't so we waited a few months um we waited I think three or four months for several different reasons health mentally emotionally um and then we were like let's get back on this because by the way we're just at that age where every single person around you is having their babies Mm -hmm. you know so you're just like you're constantly like smacked in the face with it. It's, it's another day, another announcement, another Mm -hmm. birth, you know, and you, you kind of become bitter um, and jealous. And I was pregnant with both of my sisters at the same time and they went on to have their perfectly healthy babies. And how Um, hard has that got to be for them? All these people that love and care about you and know their, their like existence and having their baby is painful to you. You know, that was something I had to learn too was, um, I was so angry and bitter, not at my sisters, but just like, you know, they, they somehow won the lottery and I didn't. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of them had to tell me too, like, Hey, they also lost someone like 
they lost their niece and yeah. she was the first girl in the family. And, um, like, so everyone lost someone, right? Like Ryan and I didn't just lose Mary Kate. Our families lost Mary Kate and all like their hopes and expectations for her. So, um, that was really eye opening too, was, you know, it wasn't really, it wasn't easy for my sisters. They didn't just get to go on and have their babies. Like it was really hard on them too. Um, and so I don't think I really could understand that for quite some time. And I didn't need to understand that until the time was right, you know, yeah. going through enough. But, um, you know, I, I'm glad I, I know that. I'm glad they were honest from that perspective about it. But so um, we then decided to try, you know, at first we tried the whole, because when we got pregnant the first time, couldn't tell you anything about my cycle. Um, like we just right place, right time. We got yeah. pregnant right away had no, no problems. Um, and I say that because, you know, here we are now and we are coming off of nine, 10 months of the most heartbreaking months trying. Um, and so on top of not having your baby, you're trying. So for a couple of months, you know, we just let go, let God, that didn't happen. And I realized like, I'm a very controlling person. Like, mm-hmm. I was not just chill or like, okay, no, just you're like, let's test your sperm. Let's see what's going on yes. with me. Yes. Let's make sure all the boxes are checked. So we're not just having fun. <laughs> yeah. And you realize, yeah. by the way, like, I think the statistic is if you do, even if you do everything right, um, you still only have a 20% chance of conceiving. Mm-hmm. Like if, even if you, you know, are intimate on the day that you're ovulating, or like you just do all the steps, which by the way, Trying to have a baby is exhausting. Like when yeah. you're trying, trying. Yeah. Um, it's when you get not, past fun trying to actually yeah, trying, it's like, trying. It's yes. Yeah. It's not very sexy. You know, it's like, hey, this is my window. There's, I just, the fact that I didn't know a single thing about this is like mind blowing to me too. Um, it's, there's so much to it. Again, it's one of those things that people don't talk about a lot. Like they don't no. have a baby and then, oh, magically they're pregnant and they went through IVF and that's all you know. Well, that's why there's so shame in it, right? As women, like something must be wrong with me if I can't do that. And there might be, there's there's all kinds of things that could be, but most of the time they're quick little fixes or whatever, but there's so much shame and pressure on women. Like, you know, to, if you're, if it doesn't just happen or on, you know, in the, in one to three months of trying, it's like, that's not, how it should be like it's actually really hard to get pregnant and yeah. um most women are just like really lucky that ha- that that get to do it and you know I'm sitting on both sides of this like I Ryan basically like sneezed on me the first time and I got pregnant <laughs> and then now you know um and that the trying to conceive was the darkest time of my and this entire journey like I couldn't get off the bathroom floor for hours when my period came like so devastated, just like the darkest thoughts, you know, um, and just like feeling embarrassed. Like, how do I go face my husband and tell him, sorry, you know, like again, again, it's another month. Um, and so I, so we get to, you know, we've been trying and you know, I did every, like I've been on this health journey, like with my hormones, with my thyroid, like all of this, just exhausting, myself, um, you know, to prime this temple, we got Ryan tested, we got myself tested. And, you know, that's the frustrating thing too, is, um, 
we ended up seeing like a functional medicine doctor, which made all the difference and doing a lot of like really specific blood work at like can a cellular Can you explain level. like if you can in a nutshell what a functional medicine doctor is? Yes. So uh, it's root cause um, is who is also our, the functional medicine is, she actually is a practicing MD, but she is a holistic um doctor or holistic. Um, so they're more treating care. the cause versus the symptoms. So they're like, trying to find you're stressed. Yeah, exactly. So we're not going to treat the stress. We're going to figure out why you're stressed and help you de-stress. Yes. Like for example, and this is not a knock, but it's just like, so I was doing, I kept doing blood work with like my OBGYN and my primary care doctor. And they kept saying like, you're perfect. You're a perfect bill of health. Your thyroid looks great. And I realized like that they're not doing any of that at a cellular level. Like any of my blood work, um, and you know, I'm on this, this chart, I realized of 30 to 60 year olds, which is my mom. So like, yeah. of course my levels are going to look great, but they weren't. And so we ended up doing, um, like my mineral makeup, you know, so I found out like I was completely deficient in magnesium, vitamin D, DHA, like all of these minerals in our natural makeup that are critical for fertility. Um, so you know, and like I was doing a lot of the right stuff, but I just, it's like working hard, but not working smart. Yeah. So we found this functional medicine doctor, um, here in Indianapolis. So she starts doing like a Dutch test, all this blood work tests at a cellular level. We did a gut analysis and realized like I had a lot of stuff, you know, I, I, I needed to kind of clean up. Um, and so, cause like your gut is like the motherboard of everything, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, it's like, if that's not right, that's, that's like where all this inflammation comes from. Like I had a leaking gut and then it just kind of spirals out from there. And then I was like severely deficient in all this stuff. Our functional medicine doctor, by the way, this is really important, um, was also able to find the reason that I lost my daughter. So our, my OBGYN was amazing. She ran a million tests when we lost Mary Kate. Um, we couldn't find a reason, you know, we were told. And most of the time, I think like you rarely get a reason. Anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. It's really tough. I think like maybe 50% of the time you get a reason for your loss, but um, couldn't figure it out. Um, but my functional medicine doctor ran this test. So she said, I, it turns out I'm, I tested positive for a very rare antibody called anti-cardiolipin, anti-cardiolipin, which causes clotting. Um, and definitely like in the pregnancy, it's clotting is common in like the placenta or the cord. Um, and so, um, we found out that I tested positive, which pro explains my loss. Um, and also I would have lost every single pregnancy after, um, because we didn't just find out about this until probably two or three months ago. Yeah. Um, and there's luckily it just requires a shot every day of a blood thinning shot every single day of my um, pregnancy. But it turns out that most hospitals and doctors won't test for this antibody until you've had several losses insurance actually like won't allow won't cover it oh my yeah they gosh. won't cover any of it until you've had multiple losses so it's honestly a huge blessing in disguise that you know ryan and i hadn't been pregnant up until this time because it would have resulted in loss more than likely well and how unfair is that system that's stacked against people who don't have the amazing resources that you guys do. It, correct. It's it's heartbreaking. It's totally unfair. Um, you know, and like we are depending on the system to help. Like we don't know these You don't things. know We're what you doctors. don't know. Yeah. We, yeah. So it's like, um, you know, the, the biggest advice I can give you is like you have to advocate for yourself. And sometimes 
you know, with um, Western medicine, like we just, we try to put band-aids on things versus like solve them. So, you know, I have a lot of female friends who have PCOS, which is like a huge factor in not being able to get pregnant. And, you know, when you go in, it's like, well, let's just slap this, like, you know, metformin on other things, like, which Mm -hmm. doesn't really, and I'm not giving medical advice by any means, but it's just sometimes. But it's diet, it's exercise, it's mental health. Yeah, it's so much bigger than just taking, you know, a pharmaceutical and and you want to heal these things, not just like solve the, that physical like symptom or, or whatever it is that's flaring up, you know, like you, so all that to say, um, we just, we had to advocate, I had to do a lot more work and that um, required seeing a functional medicine doctor, getting a lot more like blood work done um, at a cellular level and just seeing, um, you know, what the real issue was. So we were able to, to discover, you know, a lot of health things, um, clean those up. But so even at that time though, so we're coming up on nine or 10 months of not conceiving, trying like hell to have a baby. And, you know, mentally I was in a really bad place. So mm-hmm. we decided to see a fertility doctor. Um, and I'm thinking like, there's a thousand steps from here in IVF, right? Like to be honest, I, I did not, IVF was like very last case. I did not want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very fearful of it. Um, and I felt a lot of shame in it. Like I had so much pride, like my body's done this before on its own. It should be able to do it itself. I don't want to do IVF at all. And I just spent, you know, months and months resetting my entire system. You're going to go see a doctor um, that's going to pump you full of drugs yeah, and hormones and do it the, the fake stuff. way. Yeah. You know, like, and so I, oh, like you, Ryan, like I was, I was a wreck. So we go in, we see, um, you know, a great doctor here in Indianapolis and, you know, he even tells me like, you know, there's, there's a lot we can do, blah, blah, blah. So we go to our second consultation with him. We sit down and he goes, you got to do IVF. And I start bawling. You know, I'm expecting him to be like, I, I don't know anything but that, right? Like Clomid or something. Yeah, Dr. Jared is very frank, which I appreciated. <laughs> like he doesn't mess around. He's not going to dance around. There. He's like, this is what you need to do. This is everything I can do and let's do it or oh, shit yeah. or get off the I pot. Think, I So I appreciate that now. I wasn't ready for that going in. Yeah. You know, like it's very, again, it's transactional and you got to be ready. Like, do you want someone to hold your hand or do you want someone to get you pregnant? Yeah, yeah. And so once I like had that, so anyway, I, I was a wreck. Like he says IVF and I'm like, go fly kite. You know, like you're not the doctor for me. We're out of here. Um, and so I ended up having a conversation with my OBGYN like two or three days ago, who again, we like trust more than anything. We're putting it in our will. Uh, she is literally an angel. Um, and so um, we, I call Sonia and I'm like, what do I, you know, he just said, I have to do this. Like, what's your thoughts? And so she goes to me and she says, and by the way, everyone, I'm 33. I was 32 at the time, just turned 33. But she goes, um, how many kids do you want? Like, let me just ask you this. How many kids do you want? And I said, you know, we've always dreamed of three or four. Um, and she said, well, you know, um, if you want three or four, you then you might want to consider this process anyway. Like, what if you continue to have complications further down the line? Like, you know, like you're, you're still perfectly young. She said, you have nothing to worry about. But if you want to continue to have kids down the roads and you may or may not have complications, why not try and, you know, 
get your eggs while they're at their youngest, greatest, healthiest self now and have those just in case for down the line should you continue to come across this problem, you know, mm-hmm. which again, you know, we're, we're coming up on almost a year of not being able to have a baby. This could be what it looks like down the road, even though I had my, my daughter myself. Um, so, she, you know, I'm like, okay, that's a very fair point. We definitely want multiple um, I'm still not convinced, but then she said this, she goes, look, we'll try, I'll try anything you want. Um, but she said, here are the options, here are their success rates. And she said, I can just tell where you are mentally and emotionally. She said, can you, can you handle if we try all these things and another five, six, seven months have passed and you are still not pregnant. And that was like, boom, mic drop. I was like, no, you're right. Yeah. Like I can't take one more month of not being pregnant so I don't know why it took me to hear it like that. I don't know why. Um, but so I said, holy shit, like, you're right. Like, we have to do this. And IVF, of course, is not like a, it's got the highest success rates. It doesn't guarantee anything by any means. But it was the most success we were going to have or like the, the best option we had. And so we just said, let's do it. Um, and so that's it on Christmas Eve we started. Um, and I have to tell you, it's January 31st now. And um, it is such a gift to be on this side of things. Like, yeah. aside from, I know how lucky we are to be able to do this financially. Like, I know from that perspective, it can't be a solution for everyone because it's it's absurd. Um, financially, it's a lot. Um, and we don't say that lightly. Like, it's no, we you know, were incredibly shopping. lucky that Steve's insurance covered a big portion of our IVF. Well, so same wow. with Ryan's, like the NFL insurance is amazing, but like this should be available to everyone. Like mm-hmm. I, I hear a lot of insurance companies won't cover it because it's elective and like that's bullshit. Like there's no one's electively running in there. Like it's a really, really, it's a lot on you physically, emotionally and mentally. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you know, like it's just for the, mo- it's, it's really upsetting and like just like I want everyone to know like our hearts are with everyone like I know this isn't easy and this is a huge financial burden but like you know when you want your family and there's nothing else you can think about or um like I get it um and that's where we were in like we just wanted our family so damn bad did you get lots of stupid comments about all the unwanted children that you could adopt instead of going through IVF Yes. Because I got a lot of And that is very offensive, by the way. Like, have you considered adopting? And I wanted to, like, bark. No, I never. considered adoption? Yeah. And just, yes, incredibly thoughtless. So my mom has actually adopted, too. And she's like, that's offensive. You know, like, people want to be wanted. Like, adoption isn't just, like, this easy. You don't just go to Target and pick up a child. No. No. Like, there's a lot involved. And so um, please don't say that to people. It's very offensive. Um, (laughs) But so, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about yeah. it. We did get that a lot. And that hurt me because for me, I know I had a lot to like go through, but that was like, um, ad- again, admitting it's my body. It's a whole other level it. of guilt. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like, I wasn't able mentally like or emotionally to like hear that or have those conversations. And so um, anyway, we, you, by the way, are getting very exclusive information. Um, you're really one of the first to know, but um aside from our families of course but so we did the first round um and I just want to say from my experience I thought IVF was a gift is it grueling is it 
you know, sometimes you're taking three to four shots a day. Like it's a lot, but it is manageable. Yeah. Nothing was like, it, it, all of it to say, like, it's, it's women are so freaking badass who go through IVF. You are mm-hmm. so strong. Um, I, I can't wait to tell our kids someday, like how badly I wanted them. Like, yeah. this is what I just endured for you. Um, but it's, it's wonderful. It's not as bad. You know, I got carried away with watching the TikToks and stuff <laughs> women going through it and they're all like wincing on the shots and they're like crying. And it just like, that was not my experience. Um, but you know, it is kind of a pain in the ass. Like I'll never forget Ryan and I are rushing through the airport. We've got 12 minutes till our like flight takes off and you you got to do a shot. (laughs) So we're sprinting into the family bathroom, which is pissing off, you know, all the moms or their kids gave the change, but we're sprinting in there taking our shots and then like sprinting to get onto our flight. So it's like, it's not glamorous by any means, but it was a privilege for us to be able to take this route because my body just needed the help, whether I like to admit it or not, it really did need the help. And um, we are sitting here able to say that we are pregnant. That's so amazing. So how many weeks are you guys now? Uh, almost six. Okay. So I really, yeah, five and a half. So have you, has this experience, I mean, I'm sure this experience has affected how you go through the thought process of sharing that publicly and Obviously, this episode will air whenever you guys are okay with it airing, but... Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. When have you guys... I'm sure you've talked about that, when you will be public again and and feel comfortable with sharing it. Yeah, I think there's there's certainly a level of, like, PTSD that comes with it all. I remember, like, after we implanted, like, the thought of taking a pregnancy test, right? Like, what if it comes back? No. Like, all those, those past seven months where we just waited for those days to come and we didn't have that news or it was the negative news that we didn't want like you know then there's just like this fear of like loss again right and it's just it's the it's like a crippling anxiety of like just a continuum of all the things you've experienced and all the things that um you know set us into this position like those things could be back again but um i think that we, we we ended up like relying on our faith so much and we kind of we we started doing this before we got married, we did a. Uh, we're both Catholic, and we did. Um, how do we call it? Pre-cana. Pre-cana, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, there's just so many hard questions that you answered back then, and like looking back on it, like nothing was preparing us for what we were about to go through. But um, after we went through that, if like there was nothing that like in our marriage that we could never accomplish together, or that we couldn't push through, uh, it's, it was like even if like there is a chance it doesn't work, but like we'll make it through. Right. And we put so much faith in, uh, in God to, you know, like guide us through this entire journey and knowing that our daughter's up there too, like that has helped me so much with just the fear of the unknown of what's to come. Right. We like, mm-hmm. we're praying and we're so thoughtful and hopeful that these, you know, these babies are you know here with us and we'll have so many more. Um, and, it's just an awesome place to be, but you know, there is, there's always this like doubt, right. Cause of what we've been through. Like it's yeah. just, this doesn't go away. Um, we'll never go away, but, um, yeah, until they're in our arms. Yeah. yeah. I would yeah. say for me, it's twofold. It's, um, it's everything Ryan just said. If you're in anxiety, like it's, it wants to steal all your joy. And, and, you know, even as society, we're like, don't say anything until this yeah. time, you know, which I don't really agree with because it's like, I, if you are a private person and you don't like to share, that's, that makes sense. But, you know, we need, no one is meant to handle pregnancy alone. Certainly not loss. Yeah. And we, this is never anything that women should 
bury deep inside them. We're not meant to carry this by ourselves. Um, so it's like, I do think at the very minimum, you should tell your, your friends and family and like have people because should, you know, you, anything happen like loss, you need them, you need someone to, to lean on this with. Um, but then also what we've learned, like people just don't talk about these things mm-hmm. enough. And so when we opened up and shared our story, we realized how many people are going through this. And that's even with like the infertility side. There's yeah. so many couples struggling with this. And like, we feel a lot of shame or that we shouldn't be talking about this. And we should, like, we should all be advocating for each other. And there is no shame in this. Yeah. Like there is no shame in needing help. And um, so part of me is like, I do want to be open about this journey. And we will be like Ryan yeah. and I have talked about, we absolutely will be open with our whole journey. It's just timing and yeah. when and right now it's like we want to keep this yeah. close um but we'll be sharing you know we're open books and I feel like that's critical um yeah. I just like I feel like it's it's something unfortunately for whatever reason we were meant to go through all of this not just loss but the trying to conceive and the IVF part of it mm-hmm. and um it's by no means your guys responsibility to share with the public just because of your platform but I think it's a huge blessing that you are comfortable sharing with the public with your huge platform because there's, you know, I'm sure there are more people talking about it. They just don't have the ability to talk as loudly. So, you know, thank you for feeling comfortable doing that. I think that's what motivates Ryan and I and everything we do. Like is if it just helps one person yeah. feel less alone or less scared, like that's worth it to us. Like we're mm-hmm. willing to put our own emotions and things on the line because um, this is some heavy shit. Yeah. Like really heavy shit. And there's not a lot of resources out there and people aren't talking about it the way they should. So we'll do that if it helps just even one person feel less alone or less crazy or whatever it is you feel in this crazy, crazy journey. When we got our, um, so my IVF failed and then we did the Hail Mary unmedicated IUI. That's how we got Charlie. So just crazy how so the world works. Crazy. Awesome. But uh, we were on our way up to um, the fertility office at my eight week to check for the heartbeat. And my whole production team was coming because they filmed everything. And I was like, we're getting the heartbeat today. And on the way, Steve said, you know, have you thought about it if there isn't one? And it had never crossed my mind literally never crossed my mind. And I immediately just started sweating, was white knuckling, and apparently it had crossed everybody else's mind. And when we got there, my doctor pulled me in his office and he said, do you want me to check first before you let the cameras record this? And Steve was with me and you know we thought about it. And I said, well, the thing is, if you check now and there's not a heartbeat, I'm still going to share that. So how do I then recreate sharing that you know, and if there is, then that's great. And I have to pretend to be happy again. Um, so we just, you know, just did it, did it, you know, uh, did it real. And luckily there was, but it had never crossed my mind. I don't think as parents, that's a gift them that that heartbeat not being there is an option. And so, you know, thank you guys so, so much. I want to put in, uh, we'll put in all the show notes, the different, um, different people you guys worked with, um, that did, you know, the, the box and the, the, the clothing and all that, the hats and those kind of things. And again, thank you just so much for being willing to share this again. I know you guys have shared it a lot. So, um, thank you for being willing to continue to do so. 
And I'm so happy for you guys. Thank uh, you're going to you. make the best parents. I'm really excited. Uh, thank and thank you, for you guys. Us. Yeah. We uh, love you. <laughs> we love you too. Steve's going to be super bummed he didn't get to chat. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys again. Thank you guys all for listening, and I'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>